Welcome to the Well Podcast, where we hope to apply faith to life. We are two brothers and pastors. I am Sam. I'm John. And we are here to have a conversation we hope will be engaging, encouraging, and equipping for our church. Hey, John. Hey, Sam. How are you? Who do you think you are? I think that I'm a child of God. What, what gives you the right? Jesus Christ. Oh, great. <laughs> Let's do, do you know, it. Do you know that reference where I'm coming from? No, oh, I don't. Okay. It's, a, it's an office reference. Yeah. It's when... Oh, uh, when Michael? Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, it was with Toby. Toby. It was Toby. Toby's oh, exit that's interview. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> anyway, um, John, nice to uh, really have you here. And uh, one of the purposes of this episode is for our church members to know the man behind the pulpit and so awesome john can you tell us a little bit about your history where you're from yeah i i'm kind of from all over the place but actually started in uh maryland uh, when my family immigrated here from south korea and i uh, went to maryland uh, to the states when i was about four or five i don't exactly remember and then you know from um that time on, we just pretty much stayed in Maryland. And then as I received my call to ministry, I went to like Connecticut, Boston, and now here. Actually, I, I, I started in Maryland. I started in Maryland as an intern pastor at one of the local churches there. And then from there, from that point, I went to Connecticut and Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about your current family. Yes. Yeah, I'm married to my beautiful wife, Christina, and we've been married for eight years uh, this coming August and have three beautiful kids, uh, Sophia, Emily, and Calvin, and they're six, three, and seven months, respectively. Mm. And our house is full. We're pretty uh, easygoing, very loud at home. Uh, 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 we, We love that, by the way, and just a lively family. Tell us about your grace story, how Christ became real in your life. Well, I grew up in a Christian home, but that didn't necessarily mean that it was a always peaceful. My mother was a Christian, still is, and uh, my father, I don't know if he is a Christian or he was a Christian. He passed away about three, four years ago, and that really was difficult for me and my family because there's two really strong, uh, radically different, and oftentimes opposed paradigms within my family. So there was, it was very confusing because as a child, you really have to choose you know, between you know, one worldview over the other. And if I, to be quite honest, sometimes uh, you exercise some form of syncretism uh, as a child growing up because you're just not sure. But I think where God really opened up my mind and my heart was during college where I just really became tired of being my own savior, being my own God, being my own wisdom. And it's at that point where I just picked up the phone. I didn't know who to call, so I called my former youth pastor. And he was just like, whoa, John, uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. How are you? And all of these things. And I got to better know um, the Lord through the ministry of this youth pastor. Uh, at the time, he moved on to 
adult ministry. But just having that phone number um, was really, really helpful. That's why actually I still have a Maryland phone number uh, just in case because of what happened for me, just in case like maybe a former student or a former congregate member wants to reach out and they have nobody. And that's the situation that I was in. And through the faithful ministry of Christ-centered preaching and teaching, slowly but surely the Lord was doing um, a lot of work in my heart to the point where I can confidently say I wasn't pursuing Christ, but Christ was pursuing me. Can you expand on what was happening yeah, in your heart more? Just You know, when you grow up in a family uh, like mine, one of the things that you have to wrestle with and can overcome in and through the gospel is a deep sense of shame and embarrassment and uh, insecurities of various kinds. And you want to fill those insecurities with um, having friends, uh, escaping the world. Uh, I I used to travel a lot. And I look back, and it wasn't just because I like to travel. It was also because it was another way of physically leaving that place and being with people that I felt like safe with and safe doesn't necessarily mean like my parents were like abusive towards me or anything like that but it was more of like such inconsistencies for me I reacted with a sense of insecurities I didn't know which was the solid ground and I think that really showed itself in college um and I didn't have anybody to go to. Now, the thing is, I, I wasn't part of a Christian fellowship or anything like that. Um, I didn't really have too many Christian friends either. And yeah, so you're just doing it on your own. And I, I learned a lot of things as I reflect, you know, the futility of doing um, the Christian life alone, for example, especially when you're that vulnerable. Mm. When you met that pastor again, was it like an instantaneous conversion experience or what happened? If you can just walk us through, was it a process? Yeah, so I called him and he was a bit surprised. Mm. And I said to him, Pastor Mike, I am so tired. And I still remember what he said to me. He said, thank God. Thank God you're tired. I'm so glad that you are finally exhausted. Because I think he knew, even when I was in his youth ministry, like that I was deeply troubled. And when I finally told him that I was tired, I was exhausted from being my own savior, I think he responded in a way that I wasn't ready for because I wasn't really well-versed into like Reformed theology, but he was really happy and excited for me that I was... I guess, hitting rock bottom. And finally, now through the gospel, he helped me bounce back up, praying for me, sharing with me what the gospel is, and drawing me back. Um, And so I was like, okay, well, um, I can't rely upon him for everything. I need to go to a local church. And I went to this predominantly white Christian Missionary Alliance church. And I... 
felt safer that way, actually, because a lot of my pain came from uh, the immigrant church. And when I saw that this was predominantly Caucasian, uh, that I just felt like, all right, there's a little bit more removal of my pain that I associated with the Korean church. And then as I heard the gospel, I could really hear the gospel because there weren't any of those distractions. And slowly, by sure, uh, little by little, that really helped me get plugged in. Now, after college, I needed to find, you know, a, a, a local church there too. And that's when I went to a local church in Maryland, found one of the pastors there, heard a sermon, and I was just like, you know what? Uh, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to commit to Jesus Christ. Oh, so that was the time. Yeah. So, well, I don't know if that was the time. That's the thing. Like, I was I always a Christian? Right. right. And it's, it was one of those things, you know, when, when was the apostle Peter a Christian? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not really sure. Definitely by the time he wrote First Peter, definitely the time where he preached that sermon in Acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when was the exact moment? Um, I, I'm not sure. I think I, I resonate with that. I didn't have a Damascus experience, but God just slowly just let me be. Let me be. Okay, so if you want to live this way, see the fruit of it. See the fruit of life without me. And see if uh, that world or that worldview can help you with your pain. And it really couldn't. That's another thing too. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I. I wanted to be a, an atheist, but I knew that I couldn't be, because I had anger, and atheism uh, didn't give me an object to channel my anger. Expand more on that. Yeah. So it, I. I. I still wanted to be angry at God. Atheism said that there is no God. Well, now who do I get angry at? Mm. And so I still held on to my faith, in in a sense. But I was really upset with him. You know, why was I given the parents that I had? Why was I, uh, why did I see some of the things that I saw? Why did I experience some of the things? You put me here. I prayed to you and I asked for mercy and you did not give it to me. So I thought. And so after justifying myself in that way, um, I think one of the gracious things that the Lord let me do I still see his presence everywhere, was, all right, let's see. Why don't you test it out? Test it out. And I I just, I look back and I see the confidence of God. It's like, okay, if you want to do that, go ahead. See if that worldview can address your pain and give it a narrative so that your pain actually has purpose Mm. and sense. Have you been freed of that anger? Little by little, Mm. remarkably. And I really um, uh, testify to the strength and power of the gospel alone. Mm. Really, there is nothing else. And, you know, as I drew closer to the Lord in the gospel, it wasn't because I was locked in a room studying the word of God, although that was part of it. That was a huge part of it. But it was also living in community with actually healthier brothers and sisters um, who at first, yeah, I, I might have been a little jealous, a little envious. Why, why can't that be me? But then later on, uh, I realized that these good brothers and sisters were sharing with me the gospel. My life is not perfect either, but I do know someone who is perfect. 
You know, I'm not, I, I, I have nothing to boast in except for Christ. And little by little, it wasn't overnight, but I started to slowly but surely buy into their message. And it was really healing towards me. And now I have the privilege of sharing that with parents, other parents, as well as students. That, yeah, please don't look at me as if I have all the right answers. I'm a broken, fallen sinner saved by grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, one of the things that the gospel has done for me is it has given my pain a narrative. It has given my pain purpose, you know, because um, I, I still remember w- when God starts to slowly um, break my heart uh, and remold it to him. Um, my favorite verse in the Bible <clears throat> is 1 Peter chapter 1, Verses six, if necessary, you have suffered various trials. And I think that's it. I, I think I probably butchered that. Um, but that is uh, the verse that really um, opened my mind and heart to it. And it's just like, why, why would that be? But for me at that point, um, a, a, one of the pastor's wives showed it to me. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, this is, this is what it says. In this, you rejoice, though now... For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Um, and she said, what she said to me was, all of your pains and struggles and trials are necessary. We don't know why it's necessary for now, but we do know at least there's a purpose. There's a story behind it. There's a whole universe behind your pain. And that the fruit of this is that you will rejoice, not because of the suffering, but what God's going to do through you. Um, and also she said this, though now for a little while, that in the gospel, it really is so powerful that we can with divine authority to say to our pains, you can only come so far. You can only come so far. This is the limitation of your suffering. It is now a servant to me. It is now a friend to me because it points me to Christ constantly. This is really good. And in what way has your experience and your testimony affected your ministry philosophy? Because as I hear this, as I mean, as your friend and brother, I see just a fuller picture and how you do ministry. And so I just want to hear from you. I think for me, the way in which I approach my ministry is that first and foremost, I need the gospel first. I am a recipient of the gospel and that it's really gospel-centered in that I know that the biggest thing that people need in their lives is not good advice, but good news, and the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a lot of self-help books. There's a lot of things out there grabbing and vying for your attention and ultimately your heart, but it's really through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single person has their own story. Every child, every youth, every adult, every parent has their own story their own hurts and their own pains. And we're all running away from something or someone, who knows. But the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses us in two ways. One, our um, uh, our victim state where we have been hurt by others or we have uh, been sinned against, for example, or we just simply live in a broken and fallen world and that we just receive uh, these things in our lives. And Jesus Christ reassures us with his life-giving word, his life-giving promises, which are sure and true, 
um, his steadfast love over our lives demonstrated upon the cross of Christ and in his resurrection, that he has taken care of our biggest problem, uh, that God is holy, 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 and that we are not, that we are sinful, and that Christ has taken care of our biggest problems. He's going to take care of all other problems. Maybe not all in this on this side of eternity, but uh, in the next. Also, uh, we are perpetrators, that we ourselves are not only recipients of sin and the effects of sin, but we are also uh, those who are uh, culprits. We sin and we hurt others. And there we see that Jesus addresses us as well, that, you know, we can take ownership of our actions, that we say, yes, I have committed these things, I have sinned in, um, against my neighbor, against my family members, or perhaps even against my own body, what have you. Jesus Christ comes and says, I have paid for the penalty of sin upon the cross. So I realized first and foremost for me that what people need in their lives is the gospel, is the gospel. So I think that's what has really impacted my life and my, my heart. And also the way that I see people now, I, I see them as precious because I see what God has done with so little, me, and He has transformed my life radically. And so if God can do that for me, I, I really do believe that God can and does and will do these things for his people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting to know you, uh, one of the things that I remember just even when I first met you to now, there's an incredible amount of patience you have with people. And I think in there is because God has been patient with in hearing your testimony, you know, someone who was angry and running away. And yeah, with that, I just, I, yeah, I, I don't think these are things you'll say out loud, but for me, I see a patient pursuing brother after uh, lost sheep, which I uh, really appreciate this testimony, hearing it. Yeah, uh, uh, that's the thing. Like, I didn't know that I had, like, struggles with anger until brothers like you and other brothers in my life would walk to me or walk with me and gently share with me that um, maybe you do have certain things in your heart that have still not have been penetrated by the gospel. And that was not just one conversation. That was not just one year, but years in the making. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I see how God has been patient with me. How dare I not be patient with others? Um, although now that I have three children, again, I think this, <laughs> the lesson that uh, God is teaching me is that I need more patience. Yeah. Yeah. Now as we move towards ministry, how do you get your calling? Why pursue pastoral ministry? Where that? Where, can you fill us with that story? How, how do we get there? Yeah, I don't exactly fully understand it, but when I was in the first or second grade, my wife and I, we grew up in the same church. And for whatever reason, she had my um, little paper that our Bible study teacher gave to us about what we want to do in the future. And I wrote down pastor. I don't know why she had it, but I, she showed me a picture of it. And, you know, many, many years later, here I am as a pastor. Um, I'm not saying that as a first or second grader, I knew what the implications were of being a minister. But I do remember, like, even at a young age, I was drawn to the Bible uh, for whatever reason. Um, and 
I think that was a very perplexing thing because, you know, as a child, you, you think of yourself so highly. And then you get to middle school and high school and your eyes open a little bit to the brokenness of the world. But in my case, within my own family. And I felt like a, a hypocrite. I felt like um, I wasn't really worthy, and which is all true. But one of the ways in which I addressed it was saying, God, I will, though I held this desire in my heart and I treasured it to be a pastor, I will not be a pastor. Please do not call me into the ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think God just needed to let me be. And I needed to go through various struggles and ideologies and whatnot um, and not figure it out for myself, but understand that I can't figure it out by myself. How has pastoral ministry been so far for you? It's been, in a good way, very, very sanctifying. Um, I understood I understand now through you know being here at KCPC that less of me and more of him means more of joy. And I think that I can state how full of it I can be. And when I'm full of just myself, that joy is a cheap shadow of the greater joy of when I'm full in Christ. And I think I, I, I thank the congregation members, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our senior pastor, um, the EC pastors who have been so life-giving to me and my family. But also, you know, uh, as, as, as a married man, my wife and I were both changing together. And I think uh, having three kids has really uh, changed us quite a bit. Um, I love being a father. And I think that kind of carries over to how I minister to our All-Stars and JG ministry. And... Um, just love these kids tremendously. Mm. One of the new ch- transitions for you is now to become the family discipleship pastor within our church. Can you share us a picture of what that uh, is going to look like? Part of the challenge of being a youth pastor for me in the Korean American context is that I can't speak Korean well. But we do have amazing brothers and sisters who are bilingual. And they also happen to be parents. And we can utilize brothers and sisters like this. And so if this is you, if this uh, uh, describes you, please reach out to me, contact me, john.huang at kcpc.org. But we really do need that bridge uh, between English and Korean speakers, and especially if you are a parent. And so for me to work alongside parents and doing ministry with them and for them because a lot of parents sometimes we forget that every day is a cosmic battle for the souls of our children and we do have empty nesters but yet that doesn't disqualify you from being a parent and so to really have good communication all across the board the second one is is that i strongly believe that we don't need to overreact to the darkness of the world, we can respond through discipleship, through the Word of God. And I think the best place to start is within our homes, is within our homes. And when our children realize that, ah, mommy and daddy love more things than just a good education and a comfortable life, 
They care about my eternal destiny and my relationship with the Lord. How is that not going to carry over into their academics? How is that not going to over, uh, carry over to uh, their families one day? And one of the things I try to encourage parents to uh, is that we're not just raising our children, we're raising our grandchildren by the way in which we are loving and serving and caring and protecting our children. And so um, that's that's part of it. Another part of it, number three, is that our our parents also need the gospel. It's not, you know, the gospel is not just step one or step two, but it's really the A to Z of our faith. We are not going to move on from the gospel. And parents really need that grace because they can be their own worst critic. I am pretty sure as parents, the worst things that we have heard said about us came from our own lips. And we really do need new words of life, words found in the gospel. And so I'm excited to work with parents, maybe perhaps create another ministry or whatever. But I'm also excited to be teaching uh, through a Bible academy or through 2-7 discipleship, leadership training. And so more of this word-based training, Bible-based training, and discipleship, even for our parents. And we really do need to have a lot of fun and enjoy one another and let that joy be infectious to invite other parents as well. Mm. How do you respond to parents who feel very overwhelmed? I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm, I'm afraid at times the questions that my kids may ask me and I feel un, unequipped. How can you respond to them to give them a certain hope or confidence to be uh, leading their family in discipleship? I would say, number one, welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. Uh, We are not perfect. We have a lot of questions ourselves. And the thing is, you know, it does take, you know, the phrase or saying it takes a village to raise children or something like that. Well, it also takes a village to raise a village. We need parents to walk alongside one another. We need older parents, empty nesters. We need people who have walked a little bit further than us. And not to be, you know, a Bible teacher or whatever, but to be a voice uh, of Scripture and a voice of encouragement to our families. It is more than just, oh, you've been through that? Me too. Although that is a tremendous help and encouragement to realize that, oh, I'm not the only one struggling here. Uh, But in various different ways, not in just broad strokes, but in nuanced ways, applying not the grace from yesterday, Not the grace for tomorrow, but the daily grace that we need every single day as parents. We are not um, some of the things that we parents might believe we are. We are not our children's savior, for example. Uh, We are not owners of our children. We are stewards of their faith. And oftentimes, losing a battle does not mean that we've lost the war. Because our children's souls, as much as we care about it, only our Savior cares about it perfectly. And so uh, we need a lot of encouragement. I, I, I think when I was uh, even uh, younger, I didn't need, I thought I didn't need encouragement. You know, just uh, do it myself. Uh, what is that phrase? Like strap your bootstraps or something like that. You know, something like that. And like, just do it yourself. You know, just muscle through it. Just grind it out. 
And that is utterly uh, futile. We will wear out. And it's like, a, I, the way I see it, it's like a, if we only utilize our faith when we desperately need it, not for daily you know, exercise, uh, it's kind of like this. It's like I have this like iPhone 11 or whatever, and I only use like 5% of it, but I still like it. I have no idea what else to do with it other than to now record or call people or use certain apps. But but yeah, the more and more we exercise our daily grace that we receive from the Lord, the better equipped we'll be to understand that our child's greatest concern is not their education, but their faith and their soul. Thanks, John. And yeah, no, I, I think one of the really cool things and very edifying things for me uh, John, you've been um, someone who has uh, helped me, especially when it comes to Reformed theology. When I met you in seminary, you've launched me into that direction. And even now with family discipleship and family worship, that's something that you do regularly with your yeah. children and with your family, which is so awesome. And so can you describe to us, well, yeah, what does that look like? Because I don't know if many of us grew up with it. I didn't grow up with it. I have no idea what this looks like and what, uh, as a as a single person and now married, I, 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 yeah, can you just paint us a picture? Yeah. Our family discipleship in the Huang family is a regular thing. We try to make it ordinary and not extraordinary. Uh, part of it is so that, you know, I need to be realistic as well. I can't just uh, plan like a Canonia night, which is our youth Friday night at home but this is something that needs to be easy, fun, and something that I can reduplicate. And so when my wife and I were talking about this, what can we do to raise up our children in the faith? Well, the number one is the Bible. And if you can read it, then you can do family discipleship. And part of what we do is this, uh, we'll open up with prayer and we'll ask our girls, uh, our son can't talk, obviously he's only seven months old, but our girls, uh, how their day was and what they would like to pray to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, uh, their Heavenly Father. Uh, what would they like to pray about? And that just reminding them that God is here. And they pray extraordinary prayers. And it humbles me because I think that God is so rational in a humanistic way that He is limited to my limitations. But when my daughters pray for so many things, so many different things that are happening all over the world, their schools, the church, I mean, it's so dynamic and robust. And so family discipleship is also for the parents as well as for the children. And so, yeah, we'll begin with prayer and we try to be as winsome as possible, encouraging their creativity and love for the Lord and for others. After a short time of prayer, uh, we will read out just a passage or two from the Bible. And in one way or another, as a family together, we don't need to have all the answers, um, but we can ask ourselves questions like, how does this passage point to Jesus? How does Jesus, in a, if I may say so, save the burden of the text, the fallen condition of the text? How does Jesus do that? Where does Jesus come in? And it's not complex. It's not a full-blown sermon. And we'll just talk about it. 
there's a lot of ums and there's a lot of I don't knows and there's a lot of awkward silences. But in that, as a family, we're growing together. And then what we do at the end, we always end with songs. And these songs are actually catechisms sung uh, with a melody. And there are certain different apps that I can share with you um, what these apps are. Maybe we can add it in the description link. But all of the catechisms are there and it's played to a tune. And so now our girls, they'll be in the kitchen, they'll be in the living room, they'll be in their own rooms. Um, and, and what they'll do is they'll start humming it. They'll start singing it throughout the day. Um, and they are now old enough to ask questions about, you know, what is efficacious grace, daddy? Uh, what is sanctification? And we just have these conversations. And I know it seems like, wow, that's, uh, I don't even know what that is. But, you know, if you can just kind of tell yourself that there's no such thing as hard words, they're just words. Uh, and they just have meaning and uh, discovering what that means can really increase uh, the faith of the children as well as the parents. And so prayer, a Bible passage, and one or two songs. Mm. Why is family discipleship important? Why do it when church seems to be covering this? Church seems to be, uh, we have pastors hired to take care of our children spiritually. Why should parents get, get engaged in family discipleship? For us Christians, we must do what the Word of God tells us to do. And we are called as parents to raise up our children in the faith. What we don't see in the Bible is actually, <laughs> hopefully we have a, you and I still have a job after this uh, podcast, but what we don't see in the Bible is the term youth pastor. But we do see Bible passages about fathers and mothers disciplining their children and raising them up in the Lord. And through that, children are forged. They're formed through these discussions about faith and life. And the Bible also teaches us that it's in this forming and forging that this is actually a microcosm of the church, that our parents are the pastors of their own home, that I do not replace mom, I do not replace father. I am their cheerleader, their support, uh, to provide resources for them so that they can be a vibrant, rich, uh, rich in Christ church. And what a testimony that is, um, that your family lives in accordance to the scriptures because not out of fear or trying to earn anything from the Lord, but you are celebrating him through your obedience to God in his word. Now, you know, as we do so, sometimes we're going to miss. Sometimes we're going to miss uh, some days. Uh, so last night, I didn't do family discipleship. I was working with you late at night at church, and that happens. But that's the point. It doesn't, is because our family discipleship is so ordinary at home, it's not an extraordinary thing where kids are like, oh my gosh, we didn't do that, you know, quarterly thing that we do or that annual thing that we do at home. This is an everyday thing, and my kids now even keep me accountable. They're like, we can't go to sleep without family worship. And 
my wife and I both lead it together because I, I want them to honor mother and father and see that um, this is an example of the church, a healthy church uh, within the home. Mm. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. I think we really look forward to uh, the family discipleship ministry. And uh, I, I think I, I speak on behalf of our church where we really appreciate you. And personally for me, John has been such a deep counselor. Uh, you have been someone who has shared words that you might not know that I cling to. And I, I believe it was words from really from Christ and from the word. And, and so I, I really appreciate you, John. Uh, I think one of the most affable brothers I've ever met. I, I always thought that word was like a curse, but it's, <laughs> it's a great word <laughs> and uh, very warm. And um, John is someone just I could rely on and depend on, whether it be a prayer or just presence. John's been there. And so I appreciate you. You know what, Sam? Likewise, uh, just because I still remember in seminary, I was wrestling with uh, a lot of um, anger and disappointment. But man, you, you stuck it through, man. And so I really appreciate you. It's about you today. So, <laughs> But these are now, uh, thank you. And uh, we are some rapid questions for you. Sure. Rapid fire questions. And uh, just first one, how do you find rest? How do you rest? I find, I, I mean, this people, are, I can totally see them rolling their eyes out. He's saying this because he's a pastor. But yeah, no, I find rest when I am lost in the word. I am deeply just lost in the word. Uh, and... There's no agenda. I'm not trying to write a sermon and saying this is my, um, you know, quiet time or whatever. But when I am uh, intentionally um, in the Word. Now, before I would feel bad sometimes when I'm in my family, uh, with my family, and they want daddy and whatever. But I, I, I just, it just occurred to me, like, how encouraged I would have been if my dad said to me, son, I can't play right now. I have to be in the Word. That's, I don't know. I think that would have changed my life. Mm. Maybe not at the time, but if I kept seeing seeing my dad or my mom doing that to me, it's like, oh, he's he's prioritizing God over me. What is this? I might have been upset about it, but I think that's really training as well. So my daughters would be like, Daddy, let's go play. What are you doing? What are you doing upstairs in, in the loft? And I would say, uh, just give me five more minutes. I'm in the Word of God. I tell them, I, I tell them what I'm doing. I'm in the Word of God. Daddy needs to be in the Word of God. Um, and so it's just been, it's not even discipline for me. It's just to have that sacred time. And my, I know my wife loves it too. Um, when I am, she, she finds me in the word and, um, it's not work. It's not work. So I, even on my Monday Sabbath, <laughs> I'm in the word mm. and my wife knows it's not like, I'm not doing sermon prep. I'm just in the word. So I think that's my biggest one. And then, after that, I love spending time uh, with people, uh, primarily, you know, my family, uh, spending time with them. That oh, what does that look like? Like, oh, like, yeah, specifically? Specifically, it can look ordinary, even just going to the mall together um, and it, or shopping together. Sometimes we'll do fun things like go fishing and whatever, but um, as I am looking into the eyes of my daughters and they're now asking me questions and I know that this is a special moment in an ordinary thing that we're doing. And just to listen to them, hear them and explain to them certain things. And I, I love just having those rich conversations. It can be about dinosaurs, stars, um, God's creation, 
Um, and sometimes very insightful ones like, Daddy, why do we pray to something that we can't see? And we'll have those like a lot of, uh, <laughs> why don't I know how to answer you? Uh, uh, part of it is because you're six and I don't know how to explain all these difficult concepts to you. But I try and my wife is like laughing at me and she, you know, she can explain all these concepts better than I can. And yeah, just uh, spending quality time together. Um, but I, I, I've always said this. Um, and this is kind of strong, so I, I understand if people disagree with this, and that's okay, because this is more advice and not Bible. But I do not believe in quality time without quantity time. And so if you have a lot of, let's say, low quality, but a lot of abundant quantity time, it really becomes the foundation for quality time with family and, and friends. Mm. What's your love language? I think my love language is, is there a love language where it's just like where you're, you have to be around people or is that just extrovertedness? I think that's quality time. Okay, quality time. Yeah. So I, 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 I think at one point when my understanding of the gospel was really low, quality time was like an idol to me. I think it's because I craved it. I didn't get too much of it as, as a kid. And so I craved it. I wanted it so bad. Uh, but now in the gospel, I know I have it always in Christ. Family definitely helps. And I think just we don't even have to say much. We don't even have to say anything at all. But just to even be there, that presence is really, um, really nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, the reason why I asked these first two is the first one, if our elders are listening, session is listening. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on a secret agenda of getting more vacation days. Ah. And the second one is how our church members can love you as a pastor. Wow, you're a great interviewer. <laughs> so the second one, you should have said money. <laughs> Third question. Uh, if, there's a bi- uh, if there's a book that you can recommend to our church, besides the Bible, to grow their faith, or what would it be? The book that I recommend to the congregation, there's so many books to recommend. But if you want to know how to apply gospel grace for today, a lot of people know that they need the gospel for the past, that Jesus died for me, he saved me from my sins, and so now I get to go to heaven. And then there's future grace, so I have an inheritance, I get heaven, I get paradise with the king. Um, You know that already, but what I get caught up in and what many people get caught up in is what about the grace that we need today. And so for that, I recommend the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. And it is by Paul David Tripp. And I am reading that now again. And it has been wonderful for the soul in terms of my own spiritual growth and sanctification. Also, when you know how to help yourself, you are able to help others too, especially if you know how to handle, or I should say be handled by the Word of God, and you're able to shine that light towards others who desperately need it, people like me, your pastor. All right, another book that I recommend, uh, um, I don't know if I want to share this, 
But I was going through a very rough season, or not a season, that's so dramatic. I was going through a rough week. And so what I did was I purchased a book recently called Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans. And these, this book has a, a huge list of prayers by these amazing、uh, brothers and sisters of old, the Puritans. And I don't know, they just have this like rich, Language of, of prayer. I'll, I'll read one to you. O Lord, teach me to pray that I may call upon your name. Prepare my heart to seek and open your ears mercifully to hear me. Almighty and eternal Lord God, you are the creator and continual preserver of all things, both in heaven and earth. Now, it gets more and more lofty and a little bit more poetic, but I don't know. When I am going through, a, I don't know, a rough patch here and there, Um, I don't fully always understand why Reverend Rue loves poetry so much, but in these moments, like, man, poetry speaks to me. And I think that's why, like, even in the Bible, there is that genre of poetry. And it really sinks deep into my heart. So if that's、uh, you and you're interested in Puritan prayers,、uh, that is one. Another book that I'm reading is、uh, called、uh, Elementary Korean Second Edition. And so if you want to learn Korean with me,、uh, please、uh, message me and let's、uh, learn Korean together. Can you recommend a book for parents? Any, any resource that you found helpful? Yeah, for parents, I got to say, my wife and I go back to this quite frequently. And there's so many books on parenting, but one that we really find great encouragement from, again, is from、uh, Paul Tripp, and it's called Parenting 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. It's a great book to see your family、uh, in the light of the gospel, not something mundane, but really oftentimes、uh, seeing family. As God sees family and not just paying the bills all the time, which is very important,、uh, taking the kids out and、uh, you know, making sure they're bathed, they're clean, they're fed, and all of that.、Uh, but there is this spiritual element to raising our children. And as we raise our children, I, I gotta tell you, you know, the Bible really comes alive. You see Genesis come alive. And the idols of your children are oftentimes the idols of your heart. And so, this book really addresses the heart, parenting 14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. John, how can we pray for you? My prayer request is a prayer for balance. I just recently, my wife and I,、uh, got a third child, seven months, and he is.、Uh, Just a delight to、uh, have in our family. And,、uh, but it is difficult、uh, raising three kids.、Uh, we're now no longer playing one to one, we're playing zone. And、uh, just balance between、uh, my family ministry as well as the ministry within KCPC. Sometimes I, I, I joke this way, I just told this to Pastor David today.、Um, when my family church at home is happy, Sometimes the KCPC family is not happy with me. And when KCPC family is happy with me, my family at home is not happy with me. And so it is a delicate balance that I drop the ball constantly. And so just a prayer request for balance.、Hmm. Well, we heard his prayer request. And so、uh, our listeners, those who are listening, 
after we conclude our podcast, please take time uh, to pray for Pastor John and pray for All Stars Ministry, pray for the Family Discipleship Ministry, and pray for his family, uh, Christina, Sophia, Emily, and Calvin. Well, that concludes our time. Thank you, Pastor John, for joining us here. Thank you. And we thank you for tuning in. Please email any questions or feedback at podcast at tastepeace.org. Next week, we will be interviewing Reverend John Yoon. We would love to hear how you have been encouraged and blessed. Until next time, bye. Bye.